1: Merry Christmas and welcome to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 43. Today we're talking after the shot and blood tracking whitetail with Shane Weist of Arrow Wild Company. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. And as always, I am joined by my esteemed colleague from the Midwest, weighing in at a svelte 225 pounds, 230 pounds, (laughs) hailing from the great state of Kentucky by way of Iowa, the new and undisputed heavyweight champion of I don't know, man. I ran out of gas. My brother John, yeah, John of Utah. <laughs> holla, holla! Hey, what's what's
2: happening, dude? How are you
1: doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. I'm uh, today was a long, long day. Not to get into the doldrums of, of real work land, but I um, uh, some things have changed a little bit at, at the in real work land. So I used to work in the city. I don't work in the city anymore. Um, but my the agency that I work at actually has an office in the city, and so. I've changed the the teams that I'm that I'm working with and part of them works out of the city office so today I had to jump back on the train and commute into the city and um gotta say I didn't miss it it's the the train is a weird I don't know man like train people have you ever experienced train people like real train people
2: <laughs> no. no like now when you say train I mean are you talking like Casey Jones style train or like um like Public bus. I'm talking service.
1: like public bus, public transportation, train. Oh, okay, people. okay. Yeah. So there's yeah.
2: Like, um, that's a different. Um, that's a different breed. Not saying good or bad. Right. It's just a different breed.
1: It is. It is a different breed. So there's 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 levels of train people, right? There's like train people like me. They're just normal <laughs> people trying to get to work, right? And then there's yes. the train people that you know um they look like they're zombies right it's like you can look at them and you're like man that person totally (laughs) hates their life you know what i mean (laughs) And it's like you feel Uh bad for them but it's just like they look gray and defeated and there's no joy in their life and then there's the i live in the train station train people um with Uh you know i saw a woman one day like barefoot you know train stations are nasty too they smell like pee um, and she's yeah. like full on, like downward facing dog, busting out full yoga moves on the train station platform at like five 30, you know, which is awesome, kind of, kind of disgusting. And then there's like getting the weird fit, guy that I really want on. to kind of talk to who is like, so I haven't ridden the train for three years, right? Cause I've not worked in uh-huh. the city for three years, but I get on the train today and there was just one guy whenever I did ride the train all the time that I always got on. He would, he would be reading a book. He got on way before me at some point and he would. Who was reading a book, an older fella, long white beard. He's got the cigarette stains on his white mustache, right, from from smoking. And he was always reading a book, but he would always just kind of do these weird things. Like you could tell he was just like um very interesting guy. It's, we'll say it, he's eccentric, right? And I haven't seen him in three years. And lo and behold, I get on the train today. And who is on the train? Book guy, hanging out. And, yeah. he, and it's like I literally now where I live, I get on the train at almost the last stop. And I get off in the city almost at the last stop. So I'm not sure where that guy's going, and or maybe he just rides uh, the train and reads. I'm not sure.
2: He might just ride the train. Gandalf of Pennsylvania is just riding the train.
1: <laughs> that is it, man. He is Gandalf of Pennsylvania. I kind of want to hang out with that guy, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I kind of want to buy him. Buy him a drink, you know? Yeah. Kind of like, hey, man, what are you reading? You know? But then uh, there's also that fear <laughs> where I'm like, I don't know that I want to get sucked into that because it could get kind of deep you know what I mean? and then i got like well, an he hour. looks
2: at you and he goes i'm not on tinder
1: <laughs> right <laughs> or he says i'd like to wear your skin you know it's like then it gets weird yeah. and, then I, and then i got like an hour train ride with this guy who wants to you know Dance. buffalo bill me yeah my you
2: know my take on the train is um you know in my past law enforcement life we had some sometimes we had some involvements with trains and uh, or put you to public transportation. Uh, we called them the, the tank bus. It was the transit authority of Northern Kentucky. Yeah. And, uh, so the tank buses, um, you would have some people on there that generally were just pissed at the world. Yeah. Um, for a, you know, a multitude of reasons, either their car got repoed or maybe their car just broke down in the shop. um, For whatever reason, they didn't have an automobile, so they're forced to to do the tank, which is awesome. They're getting up and they're going to work, so that was great. Um, You had some people that maybe they had their driver's license taken um, for a DUI or something like that. So they're generally not happy to be on the tank bus. right? And then you had other people that were conscious and just saying hey no sense in um putting more pollution out there i'm mm-hmm. going to take public transportation and yeah. you know go that route but i think even after a little while they start looking at some of the other people that are on the bus and they're like man this is a bad idea
1: yeah it's so, uh
2: i don't know it's a di- it's just it it would take a different dude i that's awesome i could i couldn't do it i generally don't <laughs> like people enough to yes. ride in a vehicle with that many people you know
1: yeah i have a touching thing you know for anyone out there that doesn't know me personally it's like i have a really weird touching thing and it's weird because you know folks you know being a musician for as long as i was you know folks will invite me out to go to a concert and be like hey man i got an extra ticket happened just like last week like hey i got an extra ticket to this concert you want to go the guy from work you know and it was a band that i would absolutely enjoy going to see and he's asked me a couple different times to go to different shows and i was like nah man you know i'm gonna thanks i appreciate it i'm gonna pass and at one point, you know, he, he still continues to ask, but this is you know, a year or so ago. He asked me at one point, he's like, you know, just curious. He's like, you know, you don't seem like you go to a lot of shows, you know. And I usually just try to chalk it up to like, oh, man, I've been to a lot of shows because I played a lot of shows and just kind of burn out or whatever. And it's usually like suffices or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is that I have a weird thing whenever I'm in a crowd of people like I don't like to be touched. So when I go to a mm-hmm. concert and it's standing room only and I don't have a dedicated seat to where I'm like, this is my territory, like this is mine don't infringe upon it as long as you stay on on either side of my armrest we're gonna be cool but like if your arm and your coat is like laying (laughs) on my shoulder like i'm gonna freak out you know what i mean so yeah it's like i just get like this blind rage and i'm just like i gotta leave i gotta leave i gotta leave um so i explained that to him and i was like i'm not the most fun person to go to a concert with in the standing room only because i want to just like commit barehanded murder the entire time someone's touching me while I'm there I was like it's, it's not a good experience for me and whomever I'm going with so the train is kind of like that for me especially in the winter when everyone has their big coats on like you got like this warm squish up against you and it's just like oh. yeah yeah they don't they don't make enough medication for that.
2: If anybody's listening to this podcast and they haven't tuned off yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like uh planes, trains, automobiles, squishy coats. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Um, if anybody's still listening, I would be curious because I guarantee you there is a medical term that are people who are um I, I know there's a medical term for. Because um, it probably falls into like just like a claustrophobia kind of thing. But right. maybe a squishy spear of other people's squishy coats.
1: Right. Yeah. Or the warm mush of someone's, you know, gelatinous body rolling over onto my side of the seat up against me. It's like it just uh, it skews me out, man. But – we are here to talk about deer hunting. We have a super awesome guest coming on uh, today. Yes. Um, Shane Weist. I think I said his name right. Um yeah, Weist. Act- yep. Yeah. He's actually a good buddy of John's. He's uh, part of the Arrow Wild Company TV uh, show, um, and we're going to be talking about uh, doing some blood tracking and tracking with dogs and stuff, and I'm super pumped to have him on to kind of touch on this, because this is one of those things where I feel like we practice everything during the course of the year. I mean, you know... I know you're this way too, but it's like, I'll practice hanging my stand. If I'm going to do running guns a lot that year, it's like, I'll go out and I'll practice in the dark and I'll do the same thing with my climber and I practice shooting my bow and I get into shape and I do all those things to practice for the season. But it's like the important part of like the retrieval of the animal afterwards. It's like, you never practice it. Right. And so it's one of those things where you don't ever get an opportunity to practice it. It's like, it's just game day. Um, And there's a lot of challenges that kind of come along with that. So I'm really interested to talk to, talk to Shane and see what all kind of tips he can give us and the experiences that he's had. But before we do that, you know what's new in the whitetail woods for Johnny Utah? What's the plan, man? Uh, well, right
2: now it is uh, shotgun season in Iowa, and um, you know it, it's. I find it it's it's odd. Uh, not a lot of people know this about Iowa that um, when shotgun season one comes in. Um, you cannot archery hunt, even if you wear orange. Oh, wow. There is no archery hunting that's legally allowed. Um, the first season runs, I believe it's five days, uh, could be six, I think. But I think it's, I think it's five. I think it's five days first season, and then um, today and tomorrow is no hunting at all by anybody with any weapon.
3: Hmm.
2: Um, then we go into a second shotgun season that runs from the ninth through the 17th um and then on december 18th starts uh they call it late muzzle loader season but you can use a bow uh and you don't have to wear orange um but it starts back uh late muzzle archery season
3: hmm.
2: and then that'll run all the way through uh, january 10th right. now that is the idea Right. Um, that would be if there is still white-tailed deer still living right, um, in the woods. Yeah. Um, now, what I want everybody to do, anybody listening, uh, close your eyes for a second. Unless you're driving, keep please keep your eyes open. But if you're not driving, close your eyes. Think of Sylvester Stallone in any of the Rambo movies. Have him wear an orange vest and an orange hat. And he's going to be with 15 to 20 people. And they're driving the same pieces of property five days straight because I mean you know you got to make sure that you you shot every deer that lives there right right a yeah. um, little bit of sarcasm you can sense in my voice a little bit no man I you know I like to give the shotgun guys a hard time and and you know and we've we've talked about this and I feel like I'm kind of kicking the dead horse a little bit but right. I don't have anything against shotgun hunting. I don't have anything against rifle hunting. I don't have anything against um, ninja, the throwing stars and nunchucks and stuff <laughs> either. My, uh, th- what I have against is the lack of conservation efforts and the, just the straight up murdering of every whitetail that moves. Yeah, that's what I have a problem with. So that's where I'm at, man. I'm in I'm in downtime right now. I'm in limbo. Um, it's nice to catch a breather, regroup you know, wash the camo, clean the camera lenses. Um, I've been doing some maintenance. My bow string looks like I've been dragging it through a cactus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so re-waxing my string and, you know, just little things like that. And, um, I, you know, I had a couple of days where it was raining, so you get a couple of nuts and bolts that get a little rusty and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's been a good time for me to do some maintenance um, and get back to the day job because, um, you know, Uh, I have a real job that actually pays my real bills, and I still get to hunt for fun. But um, yeah, so I'm working on the real job, and um, that's that's me, man. That's what I'm waiting on.
1: Nice. My deal is this: I'm uh, this weekend. So Pennsylvania, you can hunt, especially here in the eastern part of the state. You know, there's um, you can hunt with your boat pretty much during any any of the hunting seasons. And then in this part, in the eastern Uh part of the state, there's no gap, there's no shut off for archery. So like in the western part of the state, there is. So like your archery season shuts off you have your rifle season that comes in and then after rifle season there's a little bit of a law and you can't late season for bow doesn't come back in till the day after christmas usually like the 26th Um, Uh but out here on the eastern part of the state um, they're a little bit more liberal with the hunting laws only because you have a lot more population density and you know the deer numbers being what they are not a lot of hunters and stuff like that so uh, in this area particularly so that season doesn't stop so i'm actually going to go do some doe management with a buddy of mine this weekend um so that's Uh a plan there to try to fill fill the fill the freezer up since i um and and I have no buck tag left here in PA. And then I think the following weekend I'm going to do a little goose hunting. So that's going to be cool first time goose hunting. We'll see if we'll see how much success I have with that. And then the same as you man, I've been just doing some maintenance. I started moving some cameras, I pulled some cameras um just to get some new batteries in them, kind of clean them up and get them ready to put out uh for a late season to try to, you know, catch inventory of of what's going on on these properties and kind of starting to make next year's plan already. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's crazy as it sounds. It's like I started sitting down and thinking about what I want to do for any type of habitat management and food plots and stuff like that here coming into the next year. And, uh, that's kind of where I'm at, man. So I think if it's all the yep. whitetail updates, bro, we'll go ahead and, uh, get Shane on the horn and talk about some blood tracking.
2: Yes. Yeah. You know, and, um, right before we call here. So Shane, we, um, You know, I got to meet Shane back in 2013, um, and him and I were both on a different web show and, um, you know, whenever I branched away, he, um, you know, he, he wanted to come, come on board, um, you know, with my new show. So that, that made me feel, you know, real good. Uh, Shane is seriously one of the nicest, if not the nicest individual I've ever met in my life. Um. This guy, he's, just a, he's an awesome hunter. He's an awesome family man. Um, and he has this uh, Bavarian mountain hound, as we'll talk about. And he'll, I'm sure he's going to tell a few jokes about this dog, but it is, it is the most comical thing in the world. I've been with him at, at some shows um, where he's got to bring his dog in the show. And if I had a dollar for every time that somebody asked him, hey, what kind of dog is that? You and I would share it with you, and you and I could both quit our jobs tomorrow. That's a fact. It's unbelievable, nice. but uh, yeah, he's got this Bavarian Mountain Hound, and he's gotten into blood tracking um, as a as a good way to you know bond with the dog, exercise the dog, um, and as I know we're going to get into, um, it's pretty crazy the things that he's um, he's been able to learn from the dog. I don't want to spoil it. I'll let him tell. Nice. Tell some of those reasons, but nice. it, this is going to be cool.
1: Nice. Well, with that, man, that was a good lead in. Let's go ahead and uh, get Shane on the horn and get his party cracking. Before we get Shane dialed in, let's take a quick break to hear a word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Uh, Christmas is nearly here, there's only a couple uh, shopping days left, and if you have not purchased an Exodus trail camera either for yourself, wrapped up, put it under the tree, and acted surprised that you got exactly what you wanted, or maybe you've got a hunter in your life that could use some new trail cameras, head over to the ExodusOutdoorGear.com website and pick up an Exodus Lift 2 camera. If you do that, head to the uh, checkout and punch in the promo code TRUTH and you will save yourself 20 bucks. With that said, we're also doing an Exodus Lift 2 uh, giveaway. All you have to do to get entered for that giveaway or for that drawing is head to the truthfromthestand.com website and submit your information into the Truth From The Stand email newsletter. Uh, You do that. We will then have a random drawing once we hit the 200 submission level, and we will then announce the winner. And now back to the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today we are joined by Shane Weast. I almost said Zane, man. I had a buddy growing up or a guy I grew up with in high school, his name was Zane Weast. And for the life of me, I wanna I wanna call you Zane. So if I do that, just stop me and tell me that I've I've called you Zane and I'll and I'll apologize <laughs> it's profusely.
4: I've been called worse.
1: You're fine. <laughs> right on, I hear you. But uh, we have Shane on the line today, and what we're talking about, you know, as John and I kind of mentioned in the upfront, is we're talking about blood tracking. And Shane, just to kind of bring you up to speed, one of the things that I had mentioned, you know, we can and we can dive into this more, but it's interesting that you know we do all this practice and preparation and stuff for hunting, you know, whether it's archery or what or what have you during the off season, and you know, a big part of the hunt is the recovery, of course, right? And there's not a great way to practice for that. We shoot our bows. You know, we, we, we practice, we do our scouting, you know, and we will take a tree, a tree stand and practice doing a hanging hunt. So we're we're able to do it cleanly and quietly in the dark and stuff like that. But when it comes down to the important part of harvesting and actually, you know, getting the animal out of the timber, that's a part that we don't get a chance to practice. And it might be the most, one of the most vital parts of the hunt in totality. Uh, which I just think is yeah. kind of a kind of an interesting thing. before we dive into all the good juicy details of tracking, man, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you started hunting, and what you do for a living?
4: Well, um, I kind of I, I grew up out kind of in a, in a subdivision out in the country, and um, I kind of grew up just flinging arrows at everything that I could fling arrows at. <laughs> um i it it became legal for me to to hunt when I was twelve um and I started right in um going after him with the bow uh it took gosh, how many years did it take before I finally took took a deer with a bow I think I was fifteen when I finally shot one
1: Nice.
4: I shot at several leading up to that point <laughs> but um yeah, when I was fifteen, I finally did harvest uh my first year with a bow um yeah, and I've just been chasing whitetails ever since um Hunting's always been, you know, something that I've just been really passionate about, and uh, bow hunting in particular. I really don't do a whole lot of gun hunting to speak of. I, I haven't bought a gun tag in several years now. Um, I just have such a passion for bow hunting that, um, yeah, that's my weapon of choice. I guess when I'm going into the timber. So.
1: Right. What a uh, what's what state are you uh, are, are you coming from? So I'm in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm
4: kind of uh near the madison area if people out there are familiar with madison i'm I'm a little south of madison about 20 minutes or so
1: okay. and what type of uh you know what type of terrain stuff are you getting into during your hunts most of the time and do you hunt do you go out of state as well
4: um i i have been out of state i've gone to iowa let's see a, two, a couple different years i've i've bow hunted in iowa um but no pretty much just wisconsin um the terrain is I mean, there's, there, it's kind of a mixed bag of terrain here. We, you know, we've got our wetlands and, you know, kind of low lying areas and things like that. We've got big, you know, big hill country and a lot of crop fields and stuff like that. So we kind of have a mixture of everything here. Um, you know, kind of where I'm at, I've got different properties that offer different, you know, different terrain, I guess.
1: <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, speaking of getting on the hunt and flinging arrows at things, how was your, uh, how was your 2017 season so far? Are you, uh, you in the chips so that as they say are you uh you still grinding
4: yeah no i'm you know we'll we'll still uh we'll still keep after it our season goes until gosh i can't remember it's the first four four or five days something like that usually into uh january so um i'd like to do a lot of late season bull hunting too um uh, as john knows i'm uh i i enjoy the cold weather but um no, it started. I think our our season started this year around. I want to say it was like the seventeenth of September, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, I still haven't actually. I, I, my goal every year is to try to take a couple of does. Um, I still haven't even gotten gotten a single doe uh, yet. But um, passed up some nice deer. The 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 one deer in particular that I was after actually the neighbor uh, harvested. Gosh, when was that? Mid, Mid-October mid sometime. That deer usually didn't come over onto our farm until more into the uh, late October to, you know, November, like when the rut starts kicking in here. Right. Um, so, yeah, he got, he got harvested before uh, I really even had a chance to chance to get him, to be honest with you. So, um, and like I said, he was the buck of choice. And then uh, we had a couple other, you know, deer that I wanted to get a look at, kind of that I would decide from the tree. Um, if I wanted to, you know, to, to shoot one or not, but, um, yeah, I passed up a couple of nice ones. I did get to see, uh, one of the real nice ones. Um, one morning was real kind of a miserable morning went raining real hard and I decided to go out anyway. And I actually did see the block. I was after that morning. I actually had him within bow range, but, uh, he came through chasing some does. So I, I never had an opportunity to take the shot, but, um, you know, like I said, it's, you know, passed up some nice ones. Got to see at least one shooter. But, um, yeah, like I said, still grinding, though. We're, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of wish we had some snow on the ground for late season. That makes it uh, a little bit more fun. But we're sitting with no snow on the ground currently. So. Wow.
1: I can't believe uh, in Wisconsin you don't have any snow yet. I think we're actually supposed to get some this weekend.
4: Oh, is that right? Yeah, they, they were calling for, I think, one or two tomorrow night. Okay. Um, but nothing major. I mean, we were, I think we were single digits. For wind chills and stuff today, so it's definitely cold enough. We just don't have any on the ground, right? It's like
1: my my thing is, if it's going to be cold, it might as well be snowy, so at least I can enjoy that. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh,
4: well, actually, last weekend we were, gosh, we were almost sixty, I think, last weekend for the high. So that was kind of weird. Oh uh,
1: wow, I'm yeah. ready for the snow. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, so how did you know? How does one get into into being known for tracking? Like, how do you? That's just kind of an interesting skill set for people to you know know that you're that you're good at, and you know. I, I know we talked a little bit on the, uh, before we jumped on the call here, you know, I know that you use, you do have a dog that you use, but I'm just curious, how do you get into saying, you know, tracking something that I want to do? Like, what's the, what's the kind of the, the precipice for that? Or what's the, the, the launching point for that? Was is, was it something that you had you a know, friend who did it or, and then you just kind of thought it was cool or was it something you just kind of had an interest in?
4: Well, you know, honestly, I mean, growing up before I was old enough to hunt, um, you know, I got to go along on a lot of tracking, you know scenarios or whatever when my dad would shoot one of our brothers or whatever i had two older brothers and that hunted and um so yeah you know i always got to tag along when there was tracks and it was always something i thought was kind of interesting um just you know a lot of things that you learn when you're in the when you're in the timber like that but um you know it really kicked into high gear for me when i did get the dog um that there's just uh something about going out there with a the dog and tracking deer that it just it's just something I really really enjoy. So you know, I've been tracking deer obviously for quite a while, but you know, over the last couple of years with when I got involved with the dog is when it really kicked into high gear. So
1: So I mean, it's I know we were we were talking about maybe covering that later on during the conversation, but I'm just kind of curious, I mean, it sounds like a good place to start. that's uh what a what is it about the dog that really kind of kicked it into high gear? What's the, I mean, is there just, is it the extra added dimension of using the dog or is it the, is it the relationship with the dog? I'm just curious what that, you know, what that kind of, I guess, you know, interest level is for you to ratcheted it up.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's the combination of a lot of things. Um, I'm a, I've always uh, been a dog lover. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have the dog before I have the one, the, the one that I have now, um, he was a great dog. We had a great relationship with him. I'd spend every minute I could with that dog. And, you know, they say a man's best friend. And I mean, I, I just, I, I just love being with the dogs, you know, mm-hmm. and to get out into the, the timber and to watch, I mean, you, you learn so much from watching a dog. You know, I, I have, I've been out on several tracks with, with, with the dog I have now. And, you know, a lot of the, the clients that would call me out to track or, you know, all of them are just, they're just enamored by, you know, watching the dog work and, you know, and I, and you can almost, when, when you, you know, get well enough with the dog, you can kind of, you know, know how she's going to react to certain, you know, situations and stuff. And I'll even kind of almost call a shot for the client before she even, you know, before she even gives it to me. Um, it's just you know, it's if it, there's a lot of give and take with the dog, reading the dog, and you know, and the dog kind of, you know, it, it, it just the, the things that she'll show me and things like that. It's just, it, it's just quite a connection um, that you, that you have, and, and that bond just builds more and more. The more tracks we take, the more and more I just, you know, I just love spending every minute out, you know, out in the woods with her like that.
1: So no, I can understand that, man. It's a, I love I love dogs. I had a great dog. It wasn't a tracking dog, but I had a dog that was pretty special and. You know, yeah. it's something how those uh, those furry little guys get in, get in your heart the way they do, you know what I mean? It's uh, it's, it's like nothing else. It's, they become, you know, one of your family, and it's kind of how you care for them, you know, is the same way as if they're a a person, and in some cases, maybe even more so, you know what I mean? It's that unconditional, yeah. well, you know, yeah. unconditional love, man. It's like you could be angry at them one second, and they know it, and then two seconds later, they don't care. They still want to be your best buddy, you know?
4: Yeah. (laughs) They're always excited when you come home. There's (laughs) something about that. I love it. (laughs) That's right,
1: man. So I'm curious, man, what kind of dog, what kind of dog do you, do you have?
4: So I have a Bavarian mountain hound. Um, she's, they're a pretty rare breed here in the United States. She was actually brought over from Slovakia.
3: Hmm.
4: Um, so yeah, we've had her, I got her actually, we, we got her at Christmas. She was a year and a half when I got her. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's just very quickly grew to a, a very, you know, loved dog. We've got, I've got two, two, uh, boys here at home and, and, um, my wife, we just, she's, she's just a great family dog. I mean, the the kids just love her and yeah, she's, she's got quite a personality. I can tell you that she's pretty cool.
1: Now, is that, is that a big dog? I mean, what's the size? Give me, can you give me like a, she is, reference?
4: she is about, she's like 43 pounds. So, okay. it, you know, and and John, you've seen her before. I I mean, you can attest to this. So, you know, we do a lot of deer shows and things like that. Um, and you know, everybody asks, Oh, what kind of dog is that? Oh, she's beautiful. And and everybody thinks she looks like a really big dachshund. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of the look she has, but I mean, she's, she's, you know, quite a bit bigger than, than that, but, um, she's kind of got like a reddish tint and then, uh, she got like a dark, I guess her head's kind of black. But uh, yeah, she's about forty-three pounds. Um, real powerful little thing. Actually, you wouldn't uh, probably think that of a dog of that size. But um, when we're tracking, she's got to be on a harness because she just she's got a lot of power in those back legs. And when she gets to pulling, uh, you got to be able to you got to hold on tight. I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> you got then you got a good partner to do some dragging too. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, right.
4: right. Well, she's <laughs> to dragging it the opposite way. Right. <laughs>
1: What, uh, yeah. so when you got her, she was a year and a half old. Now, did you, was there any, tra- did she come, like, was she kind of trained for this or did, what did you have to do all the she training? Did have a,
4: so, so actually she kind of fell into our lap she was a rescue dog of sorts. Actually her, um, her litter was brought over, um, to a canine training facility and, um, she didn't make the cut, uh, as a canine dog. So, mm-hmm. um, sorry, a dog for the police force. So, um, a buddy of mine, a real good friend of mine has the same breed and he, his is, I think his dog is seven now. And, uh, that's what he's been using his for tracking and that his dog is unbelievable at at tracking gear. But, um, so one day out of the blue, he calls me and tells me he's got a Bavarian for me and I had fallen in love with the breed just because it's his dog. And, and I kind of laughed and, you know, I said, yeah, that's, you know, whatever. And he said, no, I'm serious. And he said, but the, the thing is, is she's about uh, just over a year old now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you wouldn't get her as a pup. And, um, so I went to meet her and, you know, she she had a little bit of training there. Mm -hmm. Um, she had done some man hunting and some drug detection and things like that. And she did have a little bit of uh, tracking, um, like blood tracking and stuff like that, a little bit of practice with that. So there was definitely some experience there. Um, but no, we, you know, you know, well, we still lay training tracks for her. So, I mean, every, you know, every chance we can get out and and get her on any type of track. I mean, that's, you know, any tracks, a good track for her. So,
1: right. But yeah, we've
4: done plenty of training with her too. So
1: nice. I'm just curious if, if Utah, if you, uh, snapped back into your, uh, into your undercover narco days and, uh, and tried to put this dog on a trail.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, um, you know, in kind of like what Shane was, was talking about and, and, you know, being with a dog and seeing a dog work. I mean, you know, a house pet is one thing and, and it's a man's best friend and they'll cuddle up with you on the couch and that kind of stuff. But um, seeing a dog out there in that element as to what they're bred to do and, uh, and to see what their genetics, uh, you know, are doing. You know, I got to do a lot of stuff with you know German shepherds, obviously, and and it was just always so amazing to me that um, when they would get out of the car, I mean, it was like clocking in. It's time to go to work, and to watch those dogs, whether it was an attack dog or you know, when I say attack, I mean it was a, if it was a aggressive trained dog, if it was a bite dog, mm-hmm. um, or if it was a passive dog, you know, that would just bark or scratch on on indications, but. It's so amazing watching those dogs work, and and I know that's what Shane's talking about. Is, you know, that dog you're just like wow, you know, like their nose is that good. It's amazing, you know, seeing them see them do their things, and that's what always used to impress impress me the most. Man, I kind of I kind of miss working with dogs like that.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's kind of cool because it, it, it's it's interesting because we've all three had experience with dogs. Of course, John yours, and in, in, you know, in, uh, in in the police world and. Shane, of course, years with, with tracking, it's like little known fact about me. I've had a lot of weird jobs and odd jobs over my life. It's like, I actually used to train dogs, but it was obedience on leash and off leash. And then I did help one of the, uh, one of the head trainers do a attack, uh, training for uh, a dog that, that he had, that he was training for the Philadelphia police force. And this was like years ago. And, um, that was the, the attack one was the last one I did. I helped with the first part of that before I uh, ended up leaving that job and, I don't know that I would want to continue with that because part of my uh, learning or my mentorship was that I was in the bite suit, uh, first and, uh, mm. and he had a, it was a Rottweiler. And so having 145 pounds of pissed off Rottweiler running at you is not, is, is not a real comforting feeling to have, you know? So I, I don't, yeah. I don't know how long lived that, uh, that career track would have been for me, but, uh, I'm just curious, man, like how do you, you know, cause I've never worked with a tracking dog ever. I've worked with a little bit of, um, you know bird dogs and stuff like that and done some rabbit hunting and stuff like that with small game that i've used dogs with you know some friends of family and stuff like that but you know how do you get a dog on the trail and what happens after they get on the track like what's the what's the process like take me through like you get a call um someone needs you to recover a deer for them or help them recover a deer like what's that process once you get and you don't have any you know notion of what happened in in the tree or what what took place like how do you get started from i guess ground zero with a dog
4: well, there's, so I, I'm on the, uh, the United blood trackers, uh, website. And actually what you can do is if you click on your state, um, and it'll bring up all the trackers in your state hmm. and then it'll list where they're from. So if I get a call, you know, most of the time, I shouldn't say most of the time, hopefully it's, you know, fairly close to home. I, I have had guys, you know, two, three hours from here trying to get me to come um, you know, quite a ways, but you know, we there's a lot of trackers here in Wisconsin. So I, you know, I kind of try to steer them in the direction of other trackers if it's, it's, if it's closer to somebody else, but so when they call, you know, I'll, you know, there's, there's kind of a screening process. You ask them a series of questions and you, you know, you try to ask them the same question differently a few times mm-hmm. just to try to find out, you know, what you, to try to really get, you know, to the true story of where the hit is and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are, there have been calls, honestly, that I just won't, you know, haven't taken just in, in the interview, you know, you kind of feel like, you know, that's probably not a deer that's going to die. Um, and I actually, you know, we've had a a couple of different scenarios. I had a, a guy actually sent me a text here. Oh, a few, two or three weeks ago, um, of a picture of the deer that he had shot. That I told him, you know, it sounded like a deer that would live. And I, you know, I didn't figure that it would be worth my time to, to come take the track. Well, he sent me a trail camera picture of that deer. Um, like, I don't know, almost a month after he had shot it, it was working a scrape again. So, um, a deer that had survived the hit, but you know, if we, if it's a hit, you know, that I feel like is a fairly recoverable deer, um yeah, we'll just, we'll, you know, we'll show up at the head site. And I explain to a lot of people, uh, my dog is a, a real slow working dog. She's not one of those dogs that's just going to come, you know, get in there and just tear off down the trail or anything like that. She's not a barker. Hmm. Um, you know, what, what we'll do is I, you know, get to the, to the property and I'll, you know, kind of tell them what's going to happen or whatever. And, and in Wisconsin, I know, um, it's different in different States. Um, But in Wisconsin, the dog has to be on leash. You can't just let it roam, you know, run free. So what I'll do is I, she's got a harness that she wears and what we'll do is I'll, I'll actually hook my lead into her collar. And then, you know, I tell the hunter when we get fairly close to the hip site, you know, let me know. And then that's when I'm going to, you know, I'll click, I'll put the, the lead on her, the harness. And, you know, what John had said when he made reference to those dogs, you know, like when you let them out of the car, it's just all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're a lovable, wonderful dog at home or whatever. But when it comes time to work, you know, it's time to work. And, and for us, when, when I take that, uh, lead and go from her collar onto her harness, that little click onto her harness, she just, that's when it's game time. She, she knows that, okay, we're here to do a job. And I mean, she's, she's you know, got a good feeling about it when I get the harness itself out, obviously. But right. when we get, you know, when that clicks onto her harness, that's when she knows it's time to, to get started. But, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, taking it on the track, is just, you know, just real slow, let the dog do her thing. Um, I, you know, in my inexperience, <clears throat> I used to try to think for the dog and try to, you know, think, to, okay, if I was a deer, where would I go? Mm-hmm. And, if, and if, she starts to steer me towards a different direction, you know, earlier what I, you know, I would start thinking, okay, no, there's no way the deer went that way. Why would it go that direction? It obviously must've gone this way. And it took, gosh, I don't know, two, three, four times probably of her continuingly proving me wrong before I realized that she's the one with the nose and I'm just the guy at the other end of the leash, kind of a thing. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, you know, it took me a while to, to get that, that trust in her. Um, but yeah, once, once she really started to click and, you know, I kind of started to read more of her signs and what, you know, what she was telling me and that's when things really started to go. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it, it, like I said, there's just so many things that happen on the trail that I have to try to, you know, see the signs that she's providing me, I guess. So I always tell the guys, you know, I tell the hunters, you know, if you guys can just stay behind me, you know, and not get out in front of the dog, you know, you know, cause those are kind of things that'll screw her up a little bit. So, and for the most part, the hunters are real good about staying behind and, and, you know, and they kind of want to sit back and watch what's going on with the dog too. So it's, It's kind of a neat experience. I actually uh, took a track here a couple weeks ago, and there was, gosh, I think there was seven or eight of us on that track when we took it. I mean, it was like an army of people behind me. Wow. And uh, I wasn't sure how she was going to handle that with that much traffic, but she did great. She did a really good job on that track. So, nice. so it's kind of cool to, to, to get the reaction of other people you know, of other hunters to, 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 watch the dog in action and, and to hear their comments and stuff. It's, it's kind of cool.
1: Right. I think what's interesting is, and, and John, the, uh, I can't remember how you said it is before we is before we hopped on the phone, you were talking about kind of picking up or like the, uh, like uh, the building a database based off the dog. I, I do not remember how you asked How'd you frame that when we were talking earlier?
2: I'm sorry. Can you, I, I lost you there.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We were talking earlier before we got Shane on the line about you know building a database like using the dog as far as like intel and stuff like that. I don't remember how you how you asked yeah. that question.
2: Oh, um, yeah. So Shane, you know, whenever we were talking the other day, um, you, you know, you and I touched on, and this is something that you know pe- somebody listening may say. Well, I don't have a blood tracking dog, so I'll never I'll never get to you know if you don't have a blood tracking dog, you're not learning anything or whatever. But it's kind of, um, the way you and I were talking the other night and, and I believe I mentioned to you, um, the database that you're collecting because you're getting to start with a hunter and the hunter says, I was standing there. The deer was standing there. He came from left to right. And then when I shot him, he ran, um, you know, back to his left or whatever, so as you're getting to follow these, these tracks, um, you're getting your own personal database of, you know, collection of, okay, 82% of the last deer that I tracked, they all ran downhill into a brushy draw or they went towards water, et cetera, et cetera. Can you kind of touch on some of that part of uh, just the stuff that you're getting to learn from, from the dog?
5: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
4: Yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, as far as, you know, kind of it's going to depend on the hit and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, one, one thing I have learned is, you know, guys will, you know, come up to an open field and automatically just assume, okay, this deer obviously must have crossed this field. And, you know, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Sometimes they'll kind of button hook back around and go right back into the draw they just came out of. Um, so, you know, they'll do a lot of doubling back and things like that. Like John, like what you had said about going, you know, into a brushy draw and stuff like that. A deer, most of the time a deer is going to want to a wounded deer is going to want to take the path of least resistance. So, you know, if, if you're hunting a big marsh and, you know, things like that, nine times out of 10, that deer is going to stay on those big, you know, those trails that go through that kind of stuff. And isn't, isn't really going to steer off of that too much until maybe, you know, okay, now it's time to go bed down I'm not going to bed down right in this trail. You know, I'll kind of go into a brush pile or things like that. Um, but, you know, guys Well, you know, they, they'll just assume that, you know, the deer had to go this way. And, you know, what I'm finding is, is you know, through experience, th- there is no set rule on this kind of stuff. I mean, don't, you know, don't just assume that the deer, you know, is, it, it, you know, all automatically going to go to a water source or whatever. I mean, that's going to depend on where the hit is, you know, how sick the deer is feeling. Things like that. I mean, there's, you know, a, a lot of times the deer will want to go back where it came from when you shot it. You know, going back to kind of where they felt it was safe um, before they were shot. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of just little things. I think people, you know, kind of miss, kind of misread when it comes to a track like that.
3: Hmm.
4: So, <clears throat> but yeah, just just some things, you know, I, as far as. It really, you know, they're all kind of hit specific, I guess. Where where the deer is actually hit at kind of depends
1: right. now, on what you know what it'll want to do. Right. No. What about you know? Because I was also curious about the, kind of like the opposite effect of you're getting to see a lot of these stand setups and hunting hunting locations and where shots took place. And, he, and the same thing that John yeah. mentioned, you're getting the intel from the from the hunter saying that he came from here he's probably even giving you more than that. He's probably wanting to tell you a little bit of the story saying, you know, I had him on camera here and he, I think he was bedding back Mm -hmm. here and he used this trail and came out this way. You know, how much of Mm -hmm. that type of Intel do you use whenever you're thinking about your own stand setups and how you're going to hunt a piece of property or how you're going to hunt a certain piece of terrain or how you're going to hunt like a certain weather pattern or whatever, based on some of the conversations you've had on these track jobs?
4: Well, you know, everybody kind of has their own style Mm -hmm. for hunting and, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know everything about tracking or about hunting in general, but you know, I, I will apply some of that kind of stuff, you know, actually, to be honest with you, the biggest thing that I get out of the tracking calls is, is when my phone really starts to burn up,
1: mm-hmm.
4: that's when I know that deer are starting to move pretty good. There you go. Um, you Isn't know, I mean, that, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that, that I take away from it at this point. Um, you know, uh, my, my good buddy where I got my dog from, Sean, um, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have conversations all the time and, you know, even, did you get any calls today? Hey, you know, or whatever? Well, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we weren't getting anything until all of a sudden this, this cold not moved in and back all of a sudden our phones are ringing off the hook kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the biggest takeaway, I guess mm-hmm. would be, you know, that to be honest with
1: you. Right, that's interesting. What uh, Do you ever look at that from yeah. a historical perspective and say every year right around this date, around these dates is whenever I usually start getting a lot of calls? Do you ever look at it that way?
4: Yeah, yeah. It seems like, um, you know, we get that first cold front in October. Mm-hmm. You know, the right around the middle of October, we always get that first real cold snap. Um, our phones will light up then. And then it's just kind of your typical... You know, late October into November, that's the way it is here in the Midwest where I'm at. But, right. um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it, where it really starts to ring is that first cold snap that we get in October. It seems like we get a week there, or you know, two, three days or whatever when, you know, we'll, we'll get start getting a lot of calls. And then maybe it'll die down a little bit and then it'll pick back up again towards, you know, Halloween or, you know, a few days before that.
1: Right, that's interesting. That's a nice little extra piece of intel, man. For the uh, for the year, it's like I wish someone would call my phone and tell me whenever it was getting ready to pop. You know,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> so hey, what, lucky that way. Yeah,
1: I know, right. What's the uh, what's the recovery rate when you're using the dog? Is it you know is it like in the ninety percentiles or is it you know in the ninety percent range or is it lower than that? I'm just curious. Like whenever you get a call and you're going out with the dog, you know how how what's that you know success rate look like? Let's take a quick break to hear a word about our partners at. Whitetail Institute of North America. If any of you out there are anything like me, you've probably already started at least daydreaming and shifting gears to think about plans for next year. And for me, part of that process is what type of food plots am I going to put in? Where am I going to put food plots? I, of course, have one new property that I'm going to be doing some food plotting on. The first step that I really need to take once I kind of figure all that stuff out is to do a soil test. And you can pick those up at Whitetail Institute of North America or whitetailinstitute.com. Testing your soil is probably the most important step for making sure that you have food plot success. And Whitetail Institute's soil test kit will give you exactly or show you exactly how much lime and fertilizer you'll need and make sure that you don't spend any more money and don't buy anything that you don't need to make sure that your food plots are successful. It's going to ensure the most successful food plot possible. It's going to save you money on fertilizer and lime. It's super easy to use. I've used it last year. They send you a readout with everything that you need to know, and then you also get a professional consultation uh, via a 1-800 number if you need to ask any additional questions. So in order to get set up and prepared to get your food plots in, on time this year being the key, hopefully mine will get in on time, uh, head over to whitetailinstituteofnorthamerica.com or whitetailinstitute.com and pick up your soil test kit now to prepare for the spring. And now back to the show
2: before Shane goes into that. I was going to, I was going to add something here real quick.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so speaking of like an eyewitness, you know, the hunter um, and, you know, in my past life, you know, I would go and um, let's just say it was something like a hit and run. Um, so not real crazy excitement, not like a shooting or something, but you know, you ask somebody, okay, somebody just did a hit and run. What were they driving? Uh, well, I am a hundred percent sure that it was a white Chevy Astro van. You're sure of that? A hundred percent. And then you find the run vehicle and it was a bright yellow F three fifty pickup truck. Yep. So it's the eye the eyewitness or the hunter in fear or excitement, people totally lose their crap about where they were, what they saw, what the what the vehicle did, what the deer did, you know, whatever. And I know Shane and I have had some stories, and Shane's told me some stories where, you know, the guy's like, yep, and the deer ran that way. And Shane's like, well, the dog's picking up blood on the <laughs> complete opposite end, you know, <laughs> of where, you know, they thought the deer went. And, and that's another benefit of the dog, you know, because in those exciting moments, sometimes people get turned around. And. Uh, especially at nighttime you know trying to identify a tree at night from the ground looks totally different than what it looked like in daylight 20 foot elevated but um so that was something i was gonna i was gonna add and then speaking of getting a bunch of phone calls uh from people telling you hey i need a I need a dog and that being an indication um i have a i do kind of have an advantage um I can always call Sam Calora down the road from Mrs. Dopey at his deer farm. Yep. And I've done it. I'll call him. I'm like, Hey Sam, I was thinking about going out today. What are your deer doing? He's like, they're all bedded up. I'm like, cool. I'll stay home today. And then he's called me before and said, every single deer in my pen is running circles around the field. You better get your butt in a tree quick. I'm like, see you bye. I'm heading out.
3: <laughs> you know, <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, man. Like, uh, so, I mean, uh, Shane, it, I'm curious. Like, so how many big fish stories do you get when you go out for a track? He was this big and he ran this way. And then whenever you, Oh
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it well the, the biggest fish story is, and John and I talked about this the other night is you'll find out that, you know, everybody hit it perfect. You know, what where, you hit the deer? Oh, I hit it perfect right behind the shoulder. And you know, th- these guys that are, that are calling me, um, they're, they're calling me because they can't find the deer. Right. So 90% of the time, if you hit a deer perfect right behind the shoulder, you're probably going to recover that deer. It'll run, you know, what? 100, 150 yards at the most Mm -hmm. and fall over dead, you know? So yeah, that's you know, as far as, you know, fishtails and and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the, the, the very first one is always, Oh, I I hit it. Perfect. You know? And you know, it's like, I, I, I don't say that because it's you know just not professional. But I want to tell him, well, if he hit perfect, he probably wouldn't be calling me. So um, that's and that that's where I go back to. You got to try to figure out a few ways to ask the same question when you're talking to the guys, you know, to to find out exact, you know, try to really dig into what you think happened, just going off of what they're feeding you, you know.
1: Right? Yeah. It's a, you got to use some of that Johnny Law. Um, yeah, <laughs> some of the Johnny Long questions. Yeah, questioning yeah my, tactics. my
4: my inner Utah. That's right. Yeah, yeah
1: that's right. Yeah. And channel your inner <laughs> Utah. You know, ask them. You know, where are you at? Where did the deer go? What broadhead were you using? Where did you hit the deer? You know, all those pertinent questions yeah. to kind of get it get it figured out and get it dialed in. That way, you're not tracking a ghost, essentially.
4: Yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. I mean, like I was saying, you know, earlier, every track is good for a dog, but if you continually take track, after track, after track, after deer that you, you know, that I feel in my heart probably aren't dead, you know, that can kind of deter the dog after a while too. So,
1: right.
4: you know, you want to go after the ones that, and I'm not saying you're, gonna you know, that we turn down a whole bunch of tracks, but you know, there are some where you're just like, yeah, I, I'm not going to go, you know, chase the deer around the timber when I know it's not, you know, probably not going to die. So there is that. Nice.
1: John, do you have something you want to add here to this one? No, no, I, uh,
2: I, I kind of interrupted there. Um, I think where we left off was uh, percentage of recoveries or oh yeah um, success uh, success on recoveries. Now I do have a question on a, a second part of that, but I want you to answer that part first.
1: Yeah. So, sure. So percentages. What are you thinking? So- what, are you, what are you at with the dog? Well, with, with, so the, the, with the United blood trackers,
4: but the, the national average is right around like 33% for recovery rate with a dog. Now that would kind of go back to what we were, what I was just saying before is, you know, these guys shoot the deer and, you know, they think they hit it perfect and they get down and they track all over the place and they can't find the deer. So they bring in six of their buddies and then they grid search and, you know, search around there for hours and hours. And when you do that, that makes the dog's job, you know, significantly more difficult because all those little scent molecules that you know are invisible to the naked eye, this dog, you know, the dog will pick up. And you know, if if you've got three, four guys that are dragging scent molecules that direction, and then all of a sudden they're dragging them back over this direction, well, that's really going to screw the dog up. So, and again you know, the, the problem that we run into is, you know, these guys are calling us because they can't find their gear and they've, you know, gone out and done everything that they can do to try to recover it, you know, by the, you know, themselves without the use of a dog. And what, you know, honestly our the success rate with dogs would be way higher. If you get, you know, these guys that, you know, if you make a bad shot and you think in your heart, okay, You know, I probably hit that one a little bit back, you know, more towards gut, liver or whatever. If you don't go in there at all, I mean, especially like on a gut shot deer, if you don't go in chasing that deer around at all and just let it go, bring a dog in, your success rate on a gut shot deer is going to skyrocket. I mean, you will be up towards that 80 to 90%. I mean, especially with a gut shot deer, there's just so much scent there, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost for a lot of dogs, it's almost not even a challenge, you know, where, you know, if you've taken a gut shot deer, a track, you know, there's really no blood to speak of, you know? So, and you know, that's where you bring a dog in on something like that. And it's just, they'll blow your mind, um, (laughs) how quickly they can make, make work of that. So
1: John, do you have part two?
2: Yeah. So part two, Shane, um, obviously, uh, you know, whenever you find deer or if you don't find deer, I'm sure a lot of times you get to see the hunter's bow, you see his quiver. Um, if you had to say there was one broadhead that you see more often lead to failed recoveries or really, you know, long track jobs, um, that, you know, you did recover, what broadhead would that be? Uh, is it, is it fixed or mechanical and if it is uh fixed or mechanical is there certain um broadhead that you see more often on failed recoveries
4: well uh, first i'm I'm gonna ask a question back are you sure we want to go down this path because <laughs> there is an overwhelming there's an overwhelming answer to this I see yeah.
1: let's good I see let's go down the path man i'm I'm, I'm living on the edge today okay <laughs> yeah
4: okay. <laughs> So a lot of guys aren't going to want to hear this, and a lot of guys are going to, when they hear me say this, they're going to be like, oh, that's not, there's, you know, they're not going to believe it and all that kind of stuff. But it is absolutely overwhelming um, a Rage two-blade broadhead. So that's, to answer your question, for the people that don't know, that mm-hmm. is a mechanical head, John. And, yeah, I mean, I, I would be willing to say... At least, well, I think I only, of all the tracks I took this year, and I I can't put a number on how many that was off the top of my head, but I can only specifically remember one that wasn't a two-blade rage broadhead. Wow. Wow! Wow. And I don't know, you know, like I said, everybody has, you know, it's like Chevy versus Ford and Dodge. Everybody has their own thing, you know, and and I get that. Um, But I'm just, you know, John, you asked, and I'm just telling you, you know, what
3: what we well, see, seen and, and, guess, and so here's you know,
4: not- to
2: um to kind of pacify if anybody is shooting a rage and and they're uh, they they believe in their rage broadheads to be the best that's i mean that's awesome and if it's worked for you every time then i'm very happy for you you know because i don't want anybody to have bad luck um a little sidebar about that rage uh from my recent calculations um I get to be in a fortunate spot with my job that I do get to know some stats about other brands in the outdoor industry, Um, and Rage does represent about 25% of the broadhead sales Mm -hmm. in the United States. So there's going to be more people shooting Rage broadheads. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many broadhead companies are out there right now, 70, maybe even 100 um, or more. And if if they represent twenty five percent, I mean they're going to have more heads out there, uh, killing and not killing. You right. know what I mean. They're just going to have more out in the field anyway. So yeah,
1: um, yeah. I mean, you know,
2: not it, trying to bash a particular broadhead. No, ab- no,
4: absolutely. It's, it, it's not interesting enough.
2: that you know, you know what the way I see it is, you're doing a, a controlled group. You're just going out with the dog. You're not. You know what I mean? We're not targeting any particular broadhead, but that's what the facts are showing. Is that yeah. um, so? It's interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a good point to bring up too, John. It's like they have they have the they have a more more of an opportunity to fail just by sheer number. You know what I mean? They, there's numbers. Yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah. it is interesting that you're mm-hmm. that you're seeing that more often often than not. Um, you know, I just think because yeah. I can speak just from personal experience. You know, i pretty much put the nail in the coffin of rage ever wanting to be part of the show here, but um I shot a rage and, and, and hit a deer. Um at, at one point, hold and, on,
2: let me get my hammer and my nail real fast. Yeah, okay.
1: Good, yeah, good. Yeah, right, right. Um you know I hit a it was a doe. Um it was thirty seven yard shot I think. Uh I hit her a little back but didn't get a didn't get a full pass through. Um no she expired and I ended up ended up retrieving her, but I switched to broadheads after that. Um and every deer after that a complete pass-through, no questions asked, uh, through bone, yeah. the whole nine. Um, and that was just kind of what made me a believer to kind of, you know, I, I tried a new broadhead because of that. I was like, man, I really feel like I should have gotten a pass-through with that, didn't get it, um, changed broadhead, started getting pass-throughs after that, and uh, I started having deer tip over, uh, you know, within 40 yards, 50 yards or so of the of the shot site, um, which then, you know, I stay with the broadhead that I that, that I use now. Um, but you know, I can kind of attest to that, that, you know, it just didn't, it didn't perform as I would have liked it to, you know, and there's also that debate too. I mean, is that, is the mechanical right, is a mechanical right for me, even just based on my draw length and the poundage that I'm pulling, you know, because I've listened to some, you know, archery pros talk about, you know, if you're, if you've got a draw length that's any shorter than like 29 inches and you're, and you're pulling back any less than 65 to 70 pounds at that draw length, then you shouldn't shoot a mechanical is, you know, is, and I don't don't quote me on like the length and the poundage, but essentially the takeaway was, is I have a 26 and a half inch draw length and I'm pulling like 62 to 63, uh, 63 pounds. And I was losing so much kinetic energy on impact to open the blades that in all honesty, it's like, I probably, if I want the best performance, I shouldn't be shooting a mechanical is what my takeaway was from that, that learning. Um, so you can put that on me as well as the hunter of not choosing the right tool for the job as well. So, um, but that yeah. was my, my experience. But, uh, Nail in coffin, I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you bring up an
4: interesting point, though, too. That you know, it, you you shot ahead that you didn't, you know, weren't real happy with how it performed, and you made that change. So, I mean, I guess I would encourage, you know, your other listeners to do the same thing. If if you shoot ahead and you're kind of, you know, you, you weren't happy with the penetration or you know the size of the hole, the blood track, whatever. You know, don't be afraid to change, I Mm -hmm. guess, you know, instead of, you know, continuously, you know, questioning everything about, you know, gosh, should I I shoot a different head or whatever, you know, because you're not having the performance that you, that you want, you don't make a change, you know, look into a different kind of head. Like John said, there's a hundred different heads out there to pick up, you know, to pick out now. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, kudos to you, I guess, for making the change, too. You know, that's a a good point, too. Well, it's
1: one of those things, I think, archery more so than, you know, a lot of other hunting sports, you know, I would say is that you have to have confidence in your gear, especially your bow and your arrows and your broadheads to know that they're going to fly true and do do the job they're supposed to do because otherwise – you, know, you don't want to be thinking about those things whenever you're trying to make a shot you know what I mean it's like you just want to go through your muscle memory and you want to execute a good shot and uh, you know and take it make a clean kill you know that's what you, that's what you want to do and so you know I want to I think most hunters want to have their gear perform you know and I kind of echo the same thing you said there it's you know if, if you if you're having challenges don't be afraid to switch it up man a lot of these a lot of these broadheads now fly nearly as true as field points you know it means so that you're re- your retuning and stuff is minimal in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Hey man, I want to, I want to dive into a couple other topics here. So I think we covered kind of the, 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 you know, talking about the dog a little bit here and I definitely didn't want to yeah. discuss that, but I also want to kind of give people at home that are listening an opportunity to kind of learn like what, you know, what should happen after the shot. Right. Because I think a lot of times, of course, the adrenaline's pumping, people are excited. They probably make some critical mistakes before they even get to a point to call you that makes even your job yeah. that much more challenging. And may even possibly be able to help them recover the deer without, you know, getting a, getting someone else involved. So I wanted to kind of go through sure. like a couple scenarios of, of you personally being in a tree and like what are the steps that you would take, you know, and I guess I'll just tee it up okay. this way. So if you're in a tree and you just released an arrow on your on your target buck, right, and you think it's a lethal hit, you know, what is the absolute first thing you do after you release the arrow and you're watching the deer run off? What's the first thing Shane does?
4: Well, I, I, I guess one thing that I would encourage right off the bat, um, is for people to shoot lighted knocks. Um, I know John and I both really like the Luminok. Um, it, you know, it'll give you a better idea of where, of where the arrow went in, but, you know, it, it, but I hear all the time, you know, when, when I take these tracks and stuff like that, that this, the things that the people say was, Oh, it happened so fast. You know, I rushed the shot and all that kind of stuff. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: You know, I guess one of the things I would encourage, you know, another thing is you have a little bit more time than you think you do. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it always seems like it happens just like that. And it really truly does. But take an extra second to make sure that pin is right where you want it to be. You know, and you're at, you know, you got the right pin on it and all that kind of stuff. But as far as, okay, so if, if if I release an arrow and I feel like, okay, yeah, if I double lung that deer, um, you know, so assuming I didn't see the deer fall. Okay. So one of the things that I, that I tell the guys is, okay, what does your gut tell you? Where do you think you hit the deer and all that? So go with your gut. The first thing I'm going to do is, you know, like I said, I'll, you know, hopefully see that arrow go in. Um, i watch the deer go as far as you can, you know, obviously watch the, as far as you can see it. You know, I don't, honestly, I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen on a deer show on TV, all these guys that shoot a deer and the first thing they want to do is turn around and look back at the camera wow. and they don't even watch the deer run off, right. you know, well, you're missing a lot of information. I mean, <laughs>
3: right. okay,
4: the deer just went past that great big crooked oak tree and it made a hard left, you know, or it, it went out, being into that CRP field about halfway and then all of a sudden I couldn't see it anymore. Okay. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, maybe it fell down right there. So, you know, listen, watch the deer as long as you can. Listen, you know, to see, okay, is it crash, 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 crash? And all of a sudden you hear this one big crash and then it's dead quiet. I mean, that's a pretty good indication. Okay. The deer is down.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but for me, you know, I'm going to sit down and hang up my bow kind of replay things in my mind. What's my gut telling me? And, you know, everybody wants to get down and, you know, and rush over and look at things right away. Well, you know, most of the time when your adrenaline's going and all that kind of stuff, sit down, try to relax. I mean, you know, we talk about injuries and stuff in the tree stand, you know, when your adrenaline's really kicking in and you're really shaking and all that, you know, that's probably not, not a good time to climb down out of a tree and go look at an arrow, you know, get your wits about yourself, you know, sit down for a little bit, but you know, as far as when, you know, you know, like you, like we were saying, you try to kind of pick out some landmarks, try to figure out where you think the deer went and then, you know, just, just let some time go by. You know, there's no, there's no real rush, right? I mean, guys want to get down and rush, rush things right away. Well, you know, like I said, Most of the time, you know, especially now with me, with the dog, I mean, I'll go back to the truck to get the dog at the very least, but, you know, that's what I would encourage a lot of these guys, you know, maybe go back to the truck, sit down, you know, take your camo off, whatever, you know, just kind of think about things a little bit. All you're doing is giving the deer more time to expire, right? And if it's already dead, well, I guess it's going to be more dead when you get there, right? I mean, it's (laughs) right there's no real reason to rush anything. So, I mean, that, you know, those are kind of, you know, and I guess depending on where the deer ran, okay, the deer ran kind of back towards the truck. Well, I would try and make a loop, you know, way out and around, try not to go back, you know, where the deer, where you think the deer ran, you know, if you have to make a huge loop and go away out and around to get to the truck or whatever you're driving, do that. You know, don't, even if, If, you know, if you got to walk a half a mile out of the way, the last thing you want to do is go in and bump that deer because it's not expired yet.
1: Right. So, you
4: you know, that's just kind of, I guess, some of the few things that I would offer.
1: Now, do you have like a a standard? Is there any set amount of time that you'll stay in the stand? I know for me, it's like my kind of rule of thumb is I make myself stay in the stand for like 30 minutes before I even get down. Now, that's if I think I even put a good shot on a deer, you know, that it was a lethal shot. It's like my rule of thumb is, is sit down for 30 minutes, just wait. And send some text messages out, maybe <laughs> to some buddies. You know what I mean. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, kind of make my move from from there and start and start what whatever my process yeah. is going to be after that. What's what's your rule of thumb with that?
4: Yeah, I mean, if you can sit there, you know, I'll sit there as long as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if if I can, you know, depending on the shot, if I can use the cover of darkness to get out of there, so I know I'm not spooking anything on my way out, I'll mm-hmm. do that. Um, you know, another thing that I'd like to, that I'd like to say is, um, you know, if you shoot a deer and it runs off to an area and it just kind of disappears, I like to sit there for a while because a lot of times, you know, in areas where the, there's a high dot, you know, high population of deer, you might have more deer that'll go over around that area where, you know, you think you, maybe you last saw your deer and sometimes you can read the body language of those deer you know, that there might be something like, you know, that it, there might be a dead deer laying there
3: right. kind of
4: a thing. Or, you know, you can just kind of read their body language. If they're kind of walking back and forth and looking back at the same particular spot, well, that's probably a pretty good indication that your deer is laying there dead. Right.
3: That,
4: so yeah, I mean, just take, take some stuff in, you know, right. and just try to use some of that.
1: That's interesting. You, know, you, you mentioned mother
4: Nature's knowledge almost, you know,
1: Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna give you some intel. You just got to be observant to it. It's interesting that you mentioned body right. language. Though, cause yeah. I, I was always curious if if you're able to tell just from the body language of the deer when it's hit, like what type of hit you have. Like, so if he does a big mule kick, it's like sometimes you'll hear people say it's like, yeah. well, if he does a big mule kick, he's gut shot because it pinches more, or maybe it, or it's a heart shot. Like everyone has like a different theory. Is there anything yeah. that you feel has kind of proven out to you that whenever you've seen an an, an arrow hit that certain placements of the arrow result in certain body language or reaction from the deer
4: yeah i guess you know one thing that i that i've noticed that if a deer hunches up Mm -hmm. and kind of runs away all hunched up generally that's going to be a gut or liver hit deer Mm -hmm. it's going to be you know more towards the back um you know that high leg kick i've it's kind of a I don't know. It's almost like a misrepresentation of where you hit because I've seen deer that have gotten hit kind of back that have done that. And then I've seen deer that have gotten hit right behind the shoulder that have done that. So, you know, there's real, it's, there's really no set in stone thing that I've, that I've noticed other than, like I said, if I see one hunch over and kind of, you know, almost run away, like they have a gut ache, if you will, you know, if your stomach hurts, you're kind of hunched over and you, you know, you just, don't feel good it, it, it usually a gut shot deer or liver shot deer will react that way
1: right oh so. that's interesting so i'm, I'm curious now because we're, we're talking about different types of, of placements and stuff here so you well, know i know one thing that i always like to do and this is i don't think i'm not teaching anything or here that you know saying anything people probably don't already kind of think to do to a degree right. but i'm curious to get your perspective because i want to kind of get the the notion of the different ways that you can read this so you know, whenever you walk up to your shot site, you know, the first thing I like to do, of course, and most people probably like to do is I try to locate, locate my arrow. Do I get a full pass through and can I find the arrow? Cause I want to check the blood on the arrow and kind of see what it tells me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does the blood on the arrow, assuming that it is recovered, tell you from this point and, you know, and what are you looking for? You know, what's good versus what's bad? Like what's, what's the blood look like, you know, are you, do you smell it? Like, you know, so just kind of walk me through that so you can kind of get a sense of you know, cause maybe you come to track my deer and I say, man, I hit him perfect right behind the front shoulder. You know, I'm pretty sure I got two lungs. I might even got some heart, you know what I mean? And then you go up and look at the arrow and that's really going to probably tell you a lot more than what I just told you as far as like the placement, yeah. as far as the truth yeah. goes. So tell me what you're looking for there and then what the different types of blood or what the arrow is going to tell you.
4: So, you know, depending on where you hit it. So if, if you, if you recover an arrow, there's a lot of like, let's say white hair at the head site. Um, and the arrow is just kind of, almost like greasy looking, like fatty or whatever. Most mm-hmm. of the time, that's going to be more like a brisket hit. Which most of the time, that deer is not going to not going to pass away from that shot. It's not a fatal shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if it, 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 it kind of depends on the color of the blood. So if if you're getting you know a double lung shot, you're going to have you know more of a pinkish blood. Mm-hmm. Um, you will notice bubbles and things like that. And when I say bubbles, most of the time the bubbles are going to be a pretty good sized. You mm-hmm. know, like, um, you know, the size of like a pencil head or bigger. You know what I mean? Not not like pin drop type bubbles, right? Because you know we take we do take a lot of traction. Guys, are like, oh yeah, you know, there's there's bubbles in the blood, and you get there. And what people don't realize is when you when you shoot a deer and you put an opening in that deer. You know, when they're running, there's you know there's kind of some air pumping back and forth in that wound, mm-hmm. and that'll actually kind of form bubbles in the blood, like real small bubbles. And people will be thrown off by that because they think, oh, that I, I must have gotten lungs because there's bubbles in the blood. Right. That's not necessarily the case. So, you know, a, a liver hit deer will be a real like a real dark blood, um, uh, like a bright red blood is going to be more of like a muscle hit, like a high back. Mm-hmm um, or something like that in, again, a deer that's probably not recoverable. Um, you know, that's one, one, when I'm taking the tracking calls, you know, that's one of the things we ask is what color is the blood? And if they say, oh, it's a real bright red, that's a, that's actually not a good indication. Whereas a lot of people think, oh, a real bright red, that must be a lung hit. That deer has got to be dead, you know? Right. And that's, that's actually simply just not the case. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, honestly, a darker blood is, going to be a better indication of a, of a fatal hit. If it's darker, it's probably, you know, going to be a fatal shot.
1: Right. So. And then of course you have that telltale smell if you got some gut in that too.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the arrow stinks, then, you know, or it's kind of greasy and like green, I, I shouldn't say greasy, more of like a greenish color, you know, I mean that's, that's obviously going to be an indication of a gut hit.
1: So. Right. Yeah. I had a oh crap moment whenever I shot my buck this year cause I got down. I knew I, I laced him. You know, and I got down, I waited for, you know, waited my 30 minutes. I heard him crash, you know, so I was, like, feeling yeah. good. I got down, but I had a no-crap moment because there was white hair at the site, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. Now, he was quartering away. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shooting into his left side, and he was quartering away. And I got to the deer, of course, I mean he piled up about 40 yards away from where I shot him. But I had an entrance through the heart and out in front of the front shoulder through the brisket. So it entered behind his left shoulder, yeah, got heart, yeah. and then came out the front of right in front of his— uh, right front shoulder. Um, but it yeah. definitely made my heart drop for a second <laughs> when I saw the white yeah. hair. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Um,
4: yeah, you, you know, what's funny about I actually took a, a, a call during the gun season. Um, the guy had shot it and, you know, thought he had made a good hit on it, whatever. And um, we went to the hit site and there was white hair all over the place. And I thought, oh boy, you know, I, I, I kind of looked at him. I said, well, you know, and he thought maybe, you know, after seeing all the hair, maybe, you know, that it was a, you know, low hit that maybe it just grazed the belly. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, that's what I, just by looking at the hair, that's what I'm thinking happened, but you know, we're here, so let's see what the dog can do. And, um, again, she proved me wrong. I figured that the deer went, you know, one direction and she kind of veered off to the left and kind of zigzagged back and forth. Well, all of a sudden I looked down I'm like, oh, I got blood here. I got blood here and I got blood here. And and for the most part, I don't look for blood when I'm taking the track with the dog, because I need to be, you know, pretty in tune with what she's doing. I need to concentrate more on her than I do the actual blood. Right. And all of a sudden we started getting, I mean, just following her, I could just see, okay, there's blood, there's blood, there's blood. Okay. And all of a sudden there's blood everywhere. And we got up there and he had actually hit that deer in the neck. Oh, wow. And didn't hit the white patch or didn't hit anything in the chip, you know, down near the bottom of the chest that there was any kind of white hair. So I still don't know where all that white hair came from. <laughs> so yeah, it was just kind of a weird deal when you talk about seeing white hair and you're kind of like, Oh boy. Cause that's exactly what I thought when we got there. I thought, Oh boy, here we go. Yeah. It was just and, one of those. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: I was just going to say for me, it was just one of those things that whenever I took the shot, it's like, I knew he was quartering away, but, um, I I mean I took enough of a compensation for him quartering away to place the shot the entrance correctly. I just didn't think that it was uh, I didn't think the angle was that to where it was going to come out in front of his front shoulder. Um, right. But uh. But yeah, I was nonetheless I was happy whenever I found him piled up and it was you know a, a, <laughs> a happy ending. <laughs> no then,
4: better feeling uh, than that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Um, man, I wanted to ask you one other thing, uh, you know, this, I, and then we'll, you know, I know I want to be sensitive to your, your time here. We've been on for about an hour and sure. I want to make sure you got some time to relax here before you go back to, to work tomorrow morning. But, uh, I, you know, I'm always curious, man, because I'm always hesitant. You know, this is just me personally. I have a hard time unless I have almost like a no brainer, you know, quote unquote slam dunk shot, um, 20 yards broadside type of thing. And I know that there are no such things as chip shots when you're archery hunting, but you know, if if the conditions are kind of wet out for me and stuff like that, I look for something that I'm just going to, that I'm not going to have to do a lot of tracking. You know what I mean? I, at least I try to. Um, so yeah. I'm just, I'm just yeah. curious, you know, for you, how does your approach change with tracking or trying to get on a trail or, you know, even if it's you hunting and you're, and it's, you know, you got some rain or maybe it rained the night before and the ground's wet or whatever the case might be you know, how do you approach tracking and getting on blood and and what conditions and recovering a deer, whether it's rain, snow, and if the snow, if it's snow, it'd be light snow to where it's not sticking to get coloration on the ground.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, that's going to be a little bit different because with the dog, you know, it's a lot, a little bit different scenario for that, but, you know, a little bit of rain actually for a I mean, if we can go back to the dog for a little bit here, a little bit of rain actually isn't going to hurt the dog. Um, In some cases, it'll actually kind of keep the scent fresh. If it's not a ton of rain, okay, there's a difference between a little bit of rain and a lot of rain. A lot of rain obviously will, you know, wash pretty much every scent, you know, any scent away or, you know, a lot of the scent or a lot of the blood or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So that makes it pretty challenging regardless if you have a dog or not. But, um, yeah, a little bit of light rain, you know, it, 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 we'll take calls from guys that, you know, I, sh- I shot a deer tonight. It's supposed to rain. You know, can we go look at, you know, go look for it tonight? And, you know, what people don't realize is, you know, just that little bit of rain actually can help the track. So we encourage guys, you know, you know, let's let's just wait till tomorrow morning and we'll, you know, take the track tomorrow morning. Um, I think the mistake that a lot of people make with tracking a deer is they feel like they got to get on it right away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know I've heard a lot of guys say, Oh, you know, it's a liver hit, you know, or a gut hit deer, you know, I I I did the right thing. I waited four hours and I went in there and it seems like people think that four hours is like that's the magical number. If I wait four hours, that deer's gonna be dead. And you know, our experience with dogs is that that's just not the case. I mean, I'll tell guys, Hey, let's wait more like twelve hours, you know, if we can wait till tomorrow, let's do that. You know, let's let's go in there tomorrow at noon. You know, that kind of thing.
3: right?
4: Um, cause we've, and we've had deer that we've, you know, a buddy of mine, uh, Sean, he took a, tra- a track, was that last year? I think it was, they tracked it, I think it was like the next day and they came up on the deer and it was still alive and it got up and took off running. And they actually went back in there the next day and it was still alive and got up running and took off running again. And that was a, like a, a gut shot deer. So, you know, the, the deer, you know, I always tell people if if we, if we were half as tough as deer were, well, I think we'd all live till we were 120 years old. You know, I mean, these, it's just amazing how tough these animals are and it. I mean, their will to live is, it's strong, you know, so Mm. that's why I tell guys, try to wait as long as you can. You know, and I know another people, you know, another thing that comes up a lot is, oh, we got coyotes, you know, the coyotes are real bad or whatever. Right in in the years we you know that i've been doing this it, you'd be surprised how off or how little we get to a deer that's been laying there for a day or you know 12 hours whatever it, the the amount of deer that are hit by coyotes or whatever is very minimal it's not it, it's not it doesn't happen as often as what people think now i'm not telling you that that's, a, again a golden rule because i know there are areas where you know, they do have that happen a little bit more frequently, but it's just not as common as what people think it is. I guess. Right. So. hmm
1: interesting. I uh, I'm I'm curious with the with the rain thing. How how does the rain help? I would think that, I would think that that would be like an absolute deterrent.
4: Well, you know, when they when it gets into like the a real dry, if it's kind of a dry scenario, the dry you know, when grass gets real dry. That scent kind of dries up a okay. little bit. And if you can get a little, you know, a little bit of rain on top of that, that'll kind of freshen that up, freshen it up a little. You know, it's like, but if it's all dried up, you know, it's, if you pour a little water on it, you know, that kind of, you know, kind of makes it fresh again, so to speak. And that's kind of how it works with the scent, too, I guess, if, you know, if that would be my way of dumbing it down a little bit, I guess, kind of thing.
3: Right.
4: Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of helps freshen it a little bit if it's real dried out.
1: Right. All right, man. So I know we've kept you here for just a little over an hour. I want to be sensitive, to, like I would mentioned, to your time. But I have one last sure. question for you. Unless, John, do you have anything else to, to, to jump in on?
2: Yeah. Um, one, one, one more thing. Um, speaking of, you know, blood tracking dogs and, and my experience with canines. So I know working with the canine handlers when they were doing tracks, uh, Shane, it was um, humidity will hold in moisture. And like if there's dew on the on the grass and dew on the leaves and stuff like that, that will hold in moisture um, as well. So what I always find interesting is that hit, that's been that's accepted, um, but I still see the argument uh, a lot of times with guys saying. You know, well, I, I I like to I like to walk in the woods when there's dew on the ground because it's water and it's washing the scent off my boots. And I'm going, no, there's moisture on the leaves. Those those dew droplets are holding that moisture. And I've had people argue with me. Um, what what is your you know what have you learned as far as how effective the dog's nose is? Because it's, in a sense, a dog's uh, the olfactory glands uh, of a dog is you know. It's the same thing we're trying to defeat with a whitetail. Um, Have you learned anything from the dog blood tracking that uh, either reinforces your scent control beliefs or um, has, you know, proved something to be a myth?
4: Well, uh, you know, I I guess in the experience that I have, John, I almost have it a little bit of the opposite of that with it seems like with a due – with a morning dew, um, those, those are the days that, that my dog really struggles to pick up a scent trail. Uh-huh. Um, so I, you know, I, again, that almost, is a, a, it's, I guess my experience, but a little bit opposite of that. I don't mean to tell you you're wrong or you know, nothing like that. I'm no, just telling no, you how it's... it's been, how it's worked for us uh-huh. this year. Um, in particular, yeah, I know, um, uh, both myself and my good buddy, Sean and his wife, all three of us took uh, a track uh, one particular morning this year when it was a there was a really really dewy morning and all three dogs really struggled I mean I, I like for me personally I put I put my dog Emma right down we found some blood and I put her nose right in the blood and she sniffed it and just kind of put her head up like all right what else kind of a thing and I mean it was like she had it was like literally like she could not even smell it so it, it's just, and then again, you go out in the rain a little after a little rain. And and I think, you know, the differences of the rain is falling down onto the scent where the dew almost like covers it in a way, you know, come, it's, you know, kind of just encapsulate, encapsulates, encapsulates the scent. Uh-huh. And, you know, so like I said, it's almost like the dogs just, they can't even smell it, period. Could it, so it's, yeah, it's kind of. It's just kind of weird.
1: I was going to say, could it possibly be that, so I'm going to try to think through this. So if you have, so if you're in a, in the timber, right? And so maybe, maybe I call you up and I've gone looking for my deer and I didn't find it. And I tracked all over the place and dumped my scent everywhere, right? And mm-hmm. you come back with in the morning and the dew is there and it's kind of a challenge because now you're working with the, the scent overall being kind of diminished, but I've also put my scent all over the place. Where it's like, maybe if the rain comes, right, that it's kind of like nature's deodorizer. I, and I don't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? To where it's like, it knocks down this, the, what I'll call the ambient scent of everything else. Yeah. And, and I'm just totally talking shit here because I don't know if what I'm saying is actually true or not. <laughs> um, but may, maybe it's just, maybe the, the structure of blood, like the molecular structure of blood, you know, is, 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 is such that, Rain alone isn't going to diminish it enough, but it will diminish the other mole- the molecules around it more so, to where now it's more prominent than the ambient s- scent around it. Totally made that up. Yeah. We should write it down well, somewhere. And I, I
2: think, think um, um, I mean, it sounds, sounds like, like you it, a uh, book there.
1: <laughs> What's <Yeah>.
2: that? <laughs> I, well, I, I <laughs> so do, do
5: think you like. like on, oh.
2: No, well, I, you know, I, I it seems like r- a yeah, heavy downpour rain will wash away scent. Right. You know, we all talk about how I uh, went in there and hung a couple of sets and yeah, I'm glad it rained and, and it washed away the scent. I'm wondering if, you know, the moisture, if it can kind of amplify that scent and if there's it, and it could kind of spread that scent around. I wonder if uh, on a dewy morning and you know, if that's why the dog may struggle some, um, yeah, You know, and whereas a whitetail is not necessarily trying to pinpoint, they're just thinking, "Mm, I smell something, I'm out of here. I don't think they really care, you know, uh, whereas an investigator hears a gunshot, he wants to find out where the gunshot came from. If a deer truly knew what a gun was and they heard a gunshot, don't need to know where it is, I'm just going to go the other direction, you know? So I wonder if that's kind of the way... um, you know, the, the scent works with, with moisture. I don't know. I, I'm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was just kind of curious if maybe there was any correlation between blood sniffing versus, you know, maybe a whitetail's nose.
1: Right. The only other Yeah, thing I, I wish can, I, I. I was going to say the only other thing yeah, I can I, think uh, of possibly is that. Um, uh, I don't know. This doesn't make any sense either. I was gonna say maybe maybe it's because Whitetail are working the wind more so than they're working the scent on the ground per se. Like I I don't know if that would make a difference. Whereas the dog is seems like it's working the scent on the ground versus you know the 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 how the scent is interacting with wind currents. Um, you know. But again, I'm totally making that up too. So <laughs> I'm just making stuff up tonight. If you guys can't tell.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, the dog will use the uh, the wind to their advantage too. Okay. Um, I know we had, I, I had, i out on a track last year. She actually picked up the deer before we even got to the track oh, wow. before we even hit, you know, the insight or anything. She had already, you could tell she had already picked up on, you know, on the scent of the dead deer laying there. And, um, again, I, you know, I wanted her to take the track. So we, we took her to the track and yeah, it took us right, you know, she, where she had thrown her head up. And wanted to go to the deer right, right from the get go. Um, yeah, I mean, so she was using the wind. I mean, the deer will use the wind or the, the dogs will use the wind too.
1: Okay. Interesting. But
4: I, w- I wish I was a little bit more educated on the, uh, the dew and, and, you know, rain and how, how that affected the track. I, <laughs> I, I would like to be able to answer more of that, but I did, you know, I didn't, I don't, I haven't read enough books, I guess.
1: Another topic for another time, man. It'll be a whole other podcast. Yeah, right. We can, there we you do go. that. We're just saving the goods for later. Um, one Whose last idea question? was it to have this guy
2: on here anyways? <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about.
4: <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh, man. Hey, yeah. so with, with that, man, I want to ask you one last question. Um, sure. And I want to get a sense of, Give me the story of the toughest track job that you've ever been on and where you ended up finding the deer at the end of the track.
4: Oh boy. Well, I mean, honestly, the, the, I feel like the toughest track job that we took, we actually didn't recover the deer. Hmm. Um, we had, uh, a, a guy had called on, I guess it was a Saturday afternoon And I actually was on my way out to the tree at that point and asked me if I would take a track for him. And I said, well, you know, I can, I can do it in the morning. Well, the more we get to talking, he tells me he shot the deer Friday night and, you know, they had gone in and looked for it and they couldn't recover the deer. And I, you know, kind of listened to a story and I, I felt like, well, you know, this, it kind of sounds like maybe it was a high back shot um, you know, maybe a deer that wouldn't be recoverable. And he said, well, you know, if you don't mind that for, for a sense of closure, I would really like to, to have the dog come up and give it a shot. And I said, okay, that's fine. Um, you know, like I said, every track's a good track. So I, um, went up there the next day and we had gotten a really hard frost that night. And, um, it was in a sumac swamp where it was, you know, the grass was, anywhere from four to six feet high, pretty much the entire track. Jeez. And, you know, I had, the dog was, we had, a, there was actually areas where there was a light skim of ice that she was breaking through. There was times when she was almost swimming <laughs> and, you know, for majority of that track, I, it, had, I not had her on a leash. I never would have even have known where she was because wow. the grass was so tall. I couldn't even see her. And again, you know, with the frost and all of that kind of stuff. And she took that track. Uh, I want to say like just short 800 yards. It was like 700 and something, 90 something or whatever yards. I have a, a GPS tracker uh, app on my phone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I'm just kind of, I can't see her. And I could just tell by the tension on the leash, you know, if she's got it or not. Mm -hmm. And, I you know I'm following her and I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Well, then all of a sudden the guy that I'm with says, yep, she's on it. I've got a little drop of blood right here. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, didn't think much of it. We kind of kept going, whatever. And he said, yep, I got another drop here. And she was at a point where she was had, she had lost it and she was trying to you know get back on the track. So I was just sitting there letting her do her thing. And I looked back, you know, just to kind of see what kind of blood we were talking about. And we're talking like almost pin drops of blood that are you know waist high hmm. and she's down you know clearly not waist high i mean she's you know she's not a great big tall dog right and she's picking that up you know going through this grass that's 6 feet high and i was just blown away i mean i that was when i really um really appreciated what a dog can do with a track i mean i was just blown away by that and uh, again, every, every once in a while he would give me an indication, yep, I got a little drop here and I'd keep following her and following her. And eventually, um, we just hit a, just hit a dead end. We hit a wall. We made, you know, kind of made a big loop around and try to get her back on it again. And she was never able to, um, to get back on that track. But yeah, I mean, we were talking all of a sudden done when we started that track, it was 41 hours old Jeez. and she had taken it almost 800 yards through, like I said, where was areas where she was almost swimming, you know, she was breaking ice and just, you know, grass at six feet high. I mean, it was, that was quite, uh, what, what I guess the most difficult track. And again, you know, it was one of those tracks I was just blown away. I was, it was, it was such an awesome track to, to watch her work. It was, well, and not watch her work, to feel her work. I guess it was right. much more yeah. of what it was with that lease, you know? So, right, yeah, it was pretty incredible. I, I walked away that day really thinking, wow, she's she's something else to be able to work through that one.
1: But, yeah, man. That's uh, that's an yeah, awesome, was, that's impressive, man, the, the, her nose. The way yeah, you... it
4: was pretty neat. You
1: know? Yeah. But, but, hey, man, I want to say thanks for coming on. I uh, appreciate you making some time to come on and chat tonight, man. I know I learned a ton. I'm sure everyone out there listening definitely picked up some pointers on some things they could be doing to – to track a little better and, and get on blood trails. But uh, before I let you go, is there anywhere you want to send people to kind of follow you, follow along with your hunting season, or get in touch with you if it's, uh, you know, regarding tracking? Is there a Facebook or Instagram page you want to tell people about?
4: Well, um, I know um, I'm on uh, Arrow Wild. Uh, you can see actually um, kind of how my season played out last year. I did shoot a buck that was, um, that's actually featured on one of the episodes on the uh, arrow wild uh, Facebook page, um, for guys in Wisconsin, um, that are looking if they would want me to track, um, again, you can go to the United blood trackers website. And, um, if you're in Wisconsin and and just scroll down and again, you'll see all the trackers and my, uh, name and phone number, you know, all my contact information is on there so they can go that route if they're looking to, uh, to, to looking for a track here in
1: wisconsin nice well ho- hopefully uh so. hopefully you have many good tracks this year many recovered deer and uh, i hope you uh yeah. hope you get to track one of your own too
4: yeah that would be ideal yeah <laughs> it would be nice to, to to find one of my own for a change
1: yeah <laughs> right i hear you man hey i appreciate you coming on man you have a good rest of your night and uh we'll talk soon Alright folks, that is a wrap for today's show. We'd like to thank Shane for joining us and before we shut this thing down, I want to give a quick reminder to be sure to enter for a chance to win an Exodus Lift 2 trail camera. All you have to do is go to the TruthFromAstan.com webpage and go to the about page and sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, you can also submit through the sign up button on the Truth from the Stand Facebook page. Uh, Once we've received 200 entries, which we're almost there, we'll do a drawing for the winner and deliver the goods. With that, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. And last but not least, we want to thank all of you for listening. And finally, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Whitetail Institute of North America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, Merry Christmas and have a safe holiday, everyone. We'll see you.
3: I ain't welcome anymore. Been a long time coming, if it all. It takes a special knowing the colorful image text, broken letters. Nationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta do Oh, 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 oh,